Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your host, the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here today by my colleague and co-host, Brian Fisher. Hey, hold up, buddy. I have never been busier, but uh, it's that, that kind, of, kind of time of the year, I guess you could say. And we haven't even hit Halloween, but uh, facts of life nowadays in college athletics. And I think that's uh, pretty much true of pretty much everyone across the board nowadays. I know. We're, we're all counting down to Thanksgiving or ish where we, we can you know, hopefully take, take a little bit of time. Um, it's a weird time for us because... You know, for me, there's there's a gajillion conference realignment things I've been trying to, to to track on extra points, and there's there's some newest new rumor or news to track down just about every single day. But even from the administrative standpoint, this is also a really busy time because we are heading into the time of the year when a struggling football team is begins the process to let go of their coach. This year's been a little bit unusual. We we had my buddy Stephen Godfrey in a couple of weeks ago to talk about kind of the, the the nuts and bolts of hiring a football coach or firing a football coach. We just had another one, Matt Wells at Texas Tech earlier this week was relieved of his duties. And so now several schools, including several prominent Power 5 programs, need new football coaches. We're going to see this for soccer coaches and for assistants and for, for many other things. And Brian, when you fire a coach, Unless you're Barry Alvarez, you typically need a search firm to help you find the next person, right? Absolutely. I mean, if nothing else to help shepherd along this this process, you know, I think a lot of ADs nowadays, even if they have that kind of short list of candidates inside their their metaphorical desk drawer, they, they also need help, you know, whether it's background checks, whether it's really even providing cover for searches, you know, so their, their planes don't get tracked uh, online, <laughs> as we have come to see time after time uh, nowadays in, in college football. But by, uh, by nosy bastards like me trying to fo- check through their emails and their text messages and trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, could you imagine? Maybe I can, but you know, it, it, it's funny, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's such an interesting time because, uh, you know, we already have, you know, some, some quite a bit of upheaval in terms of the, the power five gigs already. We have two marquee positions with USC and LSU open Texas tech, uh, just came open this weekend. So, I mean, it, it, it's going to be even busier and because we're, we're not even to uh, November yet on the calendar, a lot of coaching searches, Still to be made in terms of those decisions. Uh, a lot of a lot is going to end up happening. We are already seeing big agent news uh, with, with coaches uh, changing agents. So it, it's a fascinating time in in the industry, just just on the football perspective. And that's not even getting into uh, Olympic sports as we will with Kyle in a little bit here. But uh, you know, basketball is out there as well. It's just a, a fascinating time, especially given all the money that has been invested in the industry and invested in coaches. You know, this is a a very different uh, type of uh, industry than it was five, ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah, uh, you know, that's definitely true. It's funny. The very first story that I ever published for SPNation.com, which was ages ago, nobody go look it up, um, What was when I, a story that I wrote for the flat, their flagship site it's telling schools not to hire search firms. You know, among my many failed careers before I became a sports writer, um, I worked in uh, an executive search myself. I didn't work in in college athletics. I worked in manufacturing. I worked in software development. I worked in in, in some managerial stuff for 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 man, for uh, executives. Um, but a lot of those firms do similar things that a search firm might do for an athletic department. They'll help create a candidate list. They'll help workshop a profile for the job. They'll share salary information. They'll do the background checks. And my thinking was. Um, a lot of my clients were either companies that didn't really have HR departments, so I was cheaper, um, or because finding those actual candidates was a challenge, right? Like there's there's not that many .NET developers, and most of them have jobs, and so like it, it took time to have someone go solicit those people. That's not the case for college football. We all know who like the, the eight or ten people that could potentially be USC's coach. You don't need to go pay someone twenty thousand dollars for that. As I've been in this industry longer. And gotten to know that pro- the process a little bit better and understand what these companies actually do. I don't want to say that I've I would recant everything that I wrote there. Like I, I definitely think this is an industry that deserves some of the criticism that it gets. But I understand why a school would hire a search firm beyond just trying to shield their process again from people like me with internet connections. And so today, I thought it might be useful for our listeners to actually talk to somebody that lives and breathes in this world uh, to help explain what exactly they do 
and, and how it fits together and why we can't just all of us here on Twitter make up our own, you know, Twitter and wheel route and fat guy and associates search firm. Um, so we, we brought in Kyle Bowlesby uh, of Bowlesby Sports Advisors, someone who's done a lot of Olympic sports search firms, uh, to come in here and explain to us how this all actually works. Uh, wonderful. Um, Kyle, thanks, thanks again here for, for chatting with us. I was hoping maybe we can start really high level. Um, how does one actually get into working in, 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 a, in a college athletics search firm? You know, I, I know I, I, you, both of you guys may not know this. Like before I got, I was in journalism. I actually worked in executive search for a couple of years, but I was looking for, you know, nacho cheese plant manufacturing people or, or .NET developers. I would have no idea how to get in to help somebody find a softball coach. How, how does one even get into that space? Yeah, I feel like there's specifically in college athletics, there's three buckets of backgrounds that you generally see. Um, you have the folks that come from higher education. There are search firms that have kind of gotten into college athletics because they've placed a president, a chancellor, or a dean. Uh, you know, those individuals at those schools liked what the search firm had to offer, and they thought of them, hey, we'll, we'll work with them on their AD search. And, and hence, that's why there's, you know, Parker Executive Search and, and some of the other search firms that kind of have the trickle-down effect of, hey, we place the president, AD, and down to the coaching. Um, then you have a, another subgroup of former ADs um, that, uh, for whatever reason, have entered the space. Firings uh, have retired. Um, so you kind of have that group. And then the last subgroup would be what I would put myself in is, is people that have worked in and around sports that have, have developed pretty good networks um, and have leveraged that into um, building, you know, trustworthy relationships and, and people want to work with you and um, have, have a background in, in college athletics and professional sports. So those are kind of the three tracks that you mostly see. Okay. So th maybe this is a dumb question, but I, I think it might be helpful just to have this on the air, right? About what a search firm actually nuts and bolts does in a typical engagement, right? Like right. if I was to go sit down and help a factory find a, you know, a, a machinist or, or a plant manager, we, we, beyond just here are the candidates, I, we, I might do the background checks I might do some pre-screening of, of, of candidates. I might provide some other HR services. If you're working with somebody and they say, listen, we need uh, an associate athletic director for compliance or we need a softball coach or something, what do you typically do? Yeah, and you know, every search is different, but generally we are trying to help them devise a process and strategy before we go into the marketplace. So, you know, hey, what's the position spec? What are we looking at what are we trying to build here um, as a program, um, building consensus around what that profile looks like, building consensus around what the timeline may look like, educating them on the marketplace where comp is, who's movable, who's not, um, you know, managing different stakeholders. I know you mentioned softball. Maybe softball isn't that high profile, but there could be stakeholders. There could be an alum sure. that, um, you know, really has a role in the search and you got to kind of build relationships with them and manage that process. But I think ultimately what search firms, um, you know, are brought in a lot of times are is to help build consensus. Um, if you look at AD searches, you may have 10 committee members and they're from all walks of life. They could be alumni. They could be faculty athlete reps. They could be dean of the business school. Um, there could be coaches. There could be athletic department staff. There could be somebody from the president's cabinet on the search committee. So I look at our role as, hey, let's let's build consensus around all these different things. I'm there to keep you guys on track. Um, obviously, there's a, a candidate development component to all this. And Again, that just kind of depends on the search. You know, schools may come come to the table with, hey, these are the people we want to go after. Um, or they may say, hey, we really don't have any idea where we want to go. We want to use your market expertise and you kind of funnel uh, funnel the candidates. So it's 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 a wide range of, of where we kind of come into play. Um, you know, sometimes we're just used for background checks, air cover. Sometimes we're used to kind of manage the process from start to finish. Um, including candidate development, timeline, you know, everything that goes into it. 
So we're so we're speaking to you just before Halloween now, and this is obviously a busy time on the football side. We just yeah. uh, Texas Tech, uh, you know, they just made a coaching change, and I, I would assume they would be grabbing a search firm or, or in that process and in, into the thick of things. What, what is the quote unquote off season like for somebody at a search firm? And then what happens at this time of year for you guys uh, as things uh, ultimately? This is kind of where your bread gets buttered. Yeah, uh, my off season is visiting campus. Um, going to football practices, going to basketball practices. Um, I, I love to talk to agents in the off season. I, my, my phone's always ready to go. If, if they got some people they want me to meet, assistant coaches, aspiring you know, head coaches. So I spend a lot of my downtime trying to get in person with these folks, going to uh, the NABCA conference, going to AFCA conference, you know, whatever it may be. Um, trying to get in front of these individuals and really learn what they're about, um, you know, talk to them about their philosophies, what they would bring to the table. So when a search does come up, you know, I'm not learning about these guys on the fly. I know the, who their agent is. I've, I've probably talked with them five to ten times over the course of a few years. Um, you know, one example, um, you know, just the other day talking to an assistant coach um, at a power five institution, I, I've known him for five years and kind of seen him rise to the ranks and, you know, I'll be able to speak uh, fluently about his background and what he brings to the table when a search comes a, comes about. So, um, you know, my downtime is really getting to know candidates, whether it's a coaching search or an AD search, um, you know, being able to speak fluently about them when a search does come up. And what was the second half of the question there? Just ultimately, what what happens when uh, a school makes a change? They're trying to hire you. How does that process work? Because I'm sure a lot of the folks are, are really interested in terms of kind of the nuts and bolts of ultimately, how are you getting hired? And, and what is that initial search process yeah. and initial contact? Like? Yeah. Does and this happen after they fired the coach or before? Yeah, it's before. In all honesty, most of the searches I work on are probably a year or even two years in the making. Um, you're having these conversations. Hey, AD says – we. Hey, if they don't get to this win plateau this year, you know, we're going to be talking. So, um, you know, if I look back on my spring coaching carousel of basketball, soccer, tennis um, of 2021, you know, most of those conversations happened in fall 2019. Um, so you're constantly looking ahead. It's really you, you don't often get hired after a coach is already fired because by that time, um, it's already too late. I mean, these things move at warp speed, especially when you're talking about high profile football and basketball searches. So those conversations have already been had uh, before the season started. One of the, the, I think, criticisms that I've heard from coaches and sometimes agents and even administrators about search firms mm -hmm. is that it can make it challenging for universities to really improve um, certain demographic representation in their searches, right? If, if, yeah. if you are relying on these third parties and their personal networks and their relationships to come up with potential candidates and they don't know, say, the top black assistant coaches or women that are capable of coaching men's programs, the top women assistant coaches for women's basketball, it can be harder to find those individuals. Yeah. Is there a role that you see within your industry as being able to help diversity uh, in, in improving diversity in, in coaching searches? Or is there, a, is, this like, is there like an institutional flaw in this particular system? You know, I, I actually just talked about this topic at uh, the Cal Symposium down in New Orleans, which um, has a lot of faculty of sitting ADs and then um, about 200 attendees of individuals that are deputy level ADs, uh, senior associate ADs and we were kind of talking about diversity, equity, inclusion in, in college athletics. And I think a lot of the problem stems from the AD world, actually, um, of those leaders not expanding outside of the, the quote unquote tree that they come from. Um, and not surprisingly, you know what? I don't know what the statistics are now, but predominantly white male industry um, have made some strides um, in terms of diversity, both male and, and female and then African-Americans, but still not to the level where it needs to be. Um, but if you're if you're only relying on your your tree, I mean, we're going to have flaws in the system. There, there's going to be systematic failures um, when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think you, you do see that at the coaching level as well. 
Um, so we got to do a better job of that. Uh, I, I take it upon myself and certainly, you know, the events of, of last summer, I, I think woke a lot of people up of, Hey, we need to do even better. Uh, we got to go further. We got to leave no stone unturned. So I, I've really spent the last year and a half, um, getting to know, um, you know, more black coaches, getting to know more female, uh, potential candidates, getting to know people earlier in their career so there can be some mentorship, so they're on our radar and whatnot. So I think everyone can do better. Uh, the statistics are still bad, but they are improving. Um, but I think it starts at the top. Um, you look at higher education, you look at presidents, you look at ADs, you look at head coaches. Um, it, it's predominantly uh, male, white individuals. So um, everyone needs to do better across the board. You know, it's interesting you mentioned every search, you know, being unique and, and ultimately every person that makes the actual hire seems to be unique as, as well. I'm curious, how do you navigate? Because you're obviously hired by a, a school, but that can involve boosters, that can involve regents, that can involve presidents, ADs, assistant ADs, on, on through the, the, the like. How, how do you kind of navigate that process and, and really a lot of voices at the table, especially for those high profile football and basketball searches that really everybody wants their hands on? Yeah, you, you, you got to start every search with a listening tour. Um, you got to find the people that are actually pulling the strings. Um, you know, I look at some of these AD searches, um, you know, prominent donors are the ones that are probably going to make the ultimate call along with the president. There may be, you know, one or two. I look back at, you know, our, our Vanderbilt search. I mean, they have a prominent donor there that, you know, really worked with the, the chancellor and um, it was a small committee. And we we really understood as a search firm who, who was, uh, you know, making the call. So I think anytime you start a search, I mean, you're you're navigating that first. You're, you're trying to figure out, OK, these are the people that are going to be, quote unquote, the, the SWAT group when push comes to shove. Once we get down to the nitty gritty, the committee's done their job. There may be three or four people that we really need to build consensus around. They're the ones that we're getting on a private jet and we're flying them to the airport and we're interviewing. So yeah, that, that's one of the first conversations I have with any president or AD is, hey, who are the stakeholders that really matter uh, throughout this process? On that front, what, if, I'm, if I'm imagining a search here where we have a president and potentially a handful of, of influential donors. Outside of the AD, it's entirely possible a lot of those people don't actually have operational college athletics experience. And so I could see a world where you're coming into a search here and their expectations or their understanding of what's actually possible may not line up with what you realize can actually be done. Yeah. What you know? What do you do when you come into a search here and like you're bringing in me in for my industry expertise, but – you know, the parameters that you're asking me to, to do here, given our budget and timeline are, are not reasonable. Like I can't get yeah. Nick Saban to come to Louisiana Monroe. You know? yeah, and, and there is a certain degree of finesse. Um, you fall back on your experience of doing, you know, countless searches. And that's what I always say. You know, a lot of people say, why, why is this AD hiring a search firm? Um, I look back at my dad's career at Northern Iowa to Iowa to Stanford. I, I think he hired four football coaches in 30 years, and then I think four basketball coaches. So when you think about a typical AD, say a 20-year career, they may only be doing five to 10 uh, major revenue sports searches, whereas a search firm, hey, we're doing 15 a year over the course of a 10-year career. I mean, you pick up a lot of, a lot of antidote, you pick up a lot of experience uh, uh, through that process. So I think you always fall back on your experience. Um, and then you show them the numbers. Um, you show them the raw data. This is your conference. This is what the average salary is. This is what the bonus structure is. This is the number of years. These are the buyouts. Um, this is where you stack up from a facility standpoint. This is the support you're getting from the university um, and show them you know, what the marketplace is. Um, and if they don't agree with that, um, it's going to be a little bit of a rocky search. And we've had those from time to time. Um, but there's no question there's donors that have unrealistic expectations um, of what their program can be. And, you know, we'll probably get further into buyouts and, and whatnot as we go. But um, there can, there are a lot of times there's, uh, you know, donors pulling the strings and, 
They, they, they really do have unrealistic expectations of what the school can get and what um, success should look like. So I'm sure you just love it when you know, us in the media put together a list as soon as a coach is fired or as soon as an yep. AD is fired you know, and we put out those names. How, does, that, does that make your life a little bit more difficult when, when that uh, kind of media standpoint kind of gets out there that these are some of the guys that they should be looking at? Uh, you kind of just block it out. Um, you know, I always find the, the list intriguing. Um, I also find uh, the rumor mill really interesting when you are working on a search and, you know, there's rumor swirling, you know, probably 50% of the information is right. You know, the other half is, uh, you know, completely off base or maybe tidbits of it. So you try to block it out as much as possible and focus on your client only. Um, you don't want you know, I don't want any media members list to kind of get in my head of where we should where we should be looking. It's really about, hey, this is the culture there. This is what I've learned as I've kind of gone through these stakeholder conversations with the president, with the AD, with other important people and, and kind of let that dictate how we how we build the candidate pool. Um, speaking of candidate pool, I I, I I want to veer just quickly away from highest profile searches because, you know, my understanding is that, that you might work not just on a football or an AD search, yep. but you might work for, for other Olympic sports or other athletic department jobs. And, you know, it's, it's easy for idiots like me can sit here in my basement and like, well, what do you need a firm for? Like I can, I can come up with eight football coaches. You could coach at USC. If you ask me to name eight softball coaches, that might be a good fit or eight, you know, you know, VPs of marketing that might be harder. Outside of like your own, I, I guess, personal network, where do you and your peers even go to, to, to begin to look for the right people for some of these for some of these more niche kinds of roles? Yeah, and that th those niche sports have uh, been top of mind for me um, as I've kind of gone out and started my own business. And, you know, you're not going to get, you know, Texas football search out of the gate or an Alabama football search. That's just not realistic for somebody uh, with my experience and my age in this business. So I, I've really made a point of learning those those different areas. We did four soccer searches this spring, did a track and field search, uh, did a couple tennis searches. Um, you know, they're not the most glamorous sports, you know, to the media, but they're, they're, they're actually a lot of fun to do um, and take it upon myself to really do my own unique research. And that's, hey, let's take five, 10 year trends of standings, you know, throughout the you know, top 25 rankings, looking at conference standings, comparing those trends, seeing who's um, on the staff, looking at recruiting rankings, you know, those types of things. So, uh, you know, for non-revenue sports, I put a lot on myself to do that original research, but you're also leveraging your network as well. You're, you're talking to folks, you know, if, with my background, I've worked a lot in professional sports. So, um, if we're looking at a college soccer search, I may talk to a few folks in the major league soccer. Um, I may talk to folks at USA, uh, you know, the USA Federation for soccer. Um, so really utilizing your network, um, not just in intercollegiate athletics, but the entire uh, sport of soccer. Um, and then again, going back to your own original research of, of looking at standings, looking at stats, looking at trends, um, you know, matching culture and resources is always very important. You don't want to take somebody from, say, North Carolina soccer and bring them to Drake soccer in Des Moines, Iowa, because, you know, that person's probably not operated in like a lean resource environment. So you're kind of looking at, you know, those types of things as you're doing searches as well. I mean, how, how granular. So so you mentioned soccer a couple of times there. I, I'm just curious because, uh, you know, soccer searches, I guess, could could be in the news recently, especially after what's happened in, in Manchester the last couple of days. But how granular are you kind of getting with with a sock like a search like for a soccer coach? I mean, are you saying, all right, this guy, he, he's got a four, four, three versus this other coach. You know, she prefers the the four, one, four, one. Like how, how granular granular are you kind of getting with not only ADs who maybe do not have any experience in terms of not only hiring a soccer coach, but maybe playing it or watching. Or, or maybe their past school didn't even have that sport that they sponsored. So how granular are you kind of getting with some of these searches, some of these candidates and really kind of explaining it to some of the ADs you're working with? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's just, you try to become an expert and talk to as many people as possible, but it, it would be silly for me to say, Hey, I've talked through this tennis coach's philosophy on singles and doubles and lineups and how you do these things and explain it to an AD. 
what I would say is, hey, maybe we should have, say we're doing a women's tennis search, maybe we should bring the men's tennis coach in and have him sit in on the interview and kind of talk about the tactics and those types of things and have the men's coach kind of give us his input to the AD, to the search committee, to the the search firm folks. So like that's how I would approach some of those sports where, hey, maybe we want to understand more about the actual game plan, how they, you know, how they see the field, what, you know, whatever sport it may be. And we actually did that on a soccer search this year um, um, out at West Point. We had the men's coach kind of talk about the tactics with the, the women's candidates. And, and it was very helpful to hear it from another coach's perspective. So that's how I would approach it there. Um, that, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Um, is, is, you can't really like bring in a peer women's soccer coach from a different school <laughs> to, to right. be involved in like, like, like you might maybe for, for some other searches, you, you mentioned this a, a couple of questions ago that I've been thinking about who we're talking about buyouts, which are obvious for these, these larger sports, um, are, have become such a, a gigantic part of, of the, of the hiring process, the, the negotiations, the, what happens after the fact. And on the football side, those buyouts are getting bigger and bigger. And I've talked to people who are even agents, let alone athletic directors or other folks involved in this process saying, I feel like I have to participate in, in this. I, I can't just say my, my, my client's going to have a $1 million buyout, but I don't like it. I don't think it leads to positive outcomes. I think it limits my choices. And then, of course, I get, I get screamed at in the headlines when we're paying on a $9 million buyout. Do you look at this as a positive, just the cost of doing business? And is there any way to slow down this kind of, of cost escalation at the football side? No, I, I don't think there's any way to slow it down unless you slow down overall salary. And unfortunately, as you guys know, no matter what league or sport it's in, all it takes is one coach, one agent to get a crazy deal and everyone else wants it. I mean, if Nick Saban gets $9 million, Jim Harbaugh wants $9.5 million and so on and so on. And maybe that's a bad comparison in terms of where they're at um, success-wise, but you get what I'm saying there. You know, the bench, the level keeps rising and rising and rising, and unfortunately, there's no way to stop it unless you, you know, implemented some sort of cap. But, you know, I, I don't feel good about the buyout system. It's starting to feel a lot like the NFL to me um, in basketball and football specifically where, Hey, coaches are getting less time. Buyouts are bigger. Uh, and you know, it's, it's just getting crazy. Um, and I, I don't know if there's a better way. I haven't heard of anyone that's come up with a better way to kind of structure contracts and buyouts. I remember going through our, Foywood directory, which has a bunch of different coaching contracts. And, you know, sometimes I end up getting soccer contracts or women's uh, basketball contracts and look through those. I remember seeing a provision once for a school that wanted to hire a coach from another school. And in lieu and and part of the way they they set that up was like, not only did we guarantee like a a road game for our men's basketball team, but there was also a guarantee for like some other Olympic sports. Like we're, we're going to play three times in the next five years. In your experience, either as like an active participant or just an observer, can you think of the the most unusual uh, buyout provision or like incentive clause or you know one of those kind of like you know a fringe benefit that gets tied into the the, the equivalent of the yeah. no green M and M's and like the rock and roll concert rider sort of thing? I, I think the most unique one I've heard of, and I wasn't part of this search, um, but Randy Etzel at UConn. Uh, sure, I don't know. I don't remember the specifics, but um, I think there was a bonus. Uh, each game, if they scored first, if they were leading at half, if they had more rushing yards, I mean, it, it almost seemed like a live prop bet, um, some of their games. Um, and that that was something I had never seen before of actual in-game reward system. Um, but other than that, I, I've never had crazy provisions or, you know, incentives, um, you know, the only thing I can think of is it's always interesting when a coach will say, hey, these are the eight schools that the buyouts goes out the window. So you're basically putting your your cards on the table. So I think that's always an interesting development, certainly when they're hired. And then, you know, hey, there's eight schools out there that immediately get them out of the buyout. Sure. 
I, I I'm I'm trying to think here too. Like I mean, like country clubs are pretty standard. Cars yeah. are pretty standard, right? Like um, you know, tuition for for kids or something. I, I mean, if the Edsel's is the the most unusual game by game, yeah, in any sport that I can think of. But I haven't, I know, I haven't seen a gajillion baseball contracts, right? I don't, I don't know what's yeah. out there for some. I, I think at the the highest level for college athletics, football and basketball, um, you know, private aviation is always um, a negotiating point. Um, and it's, it's a huge cost to the school. Um, a lot of times donors will be brought in and, and say they cover that portion. So, um, that's, you know, stuff like that is, is always unique at the, the very highest levels of the sport because you're, they're spending so much money on private aviation and recruiting hours and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it's always keeping up with the Joneses for sure. I, I'm curious. I know every every search you you, you would like to think you you made the, your best efforts and, and it works out perfectly. But we, we all know that's not the case. But what what are some of the lessons you've learned on some of the times it frankly just has not worked out either from the, the coach's perspective or from the school's perspective? Oh, that's a good question. I, when they don't work out, it's usually a cultural fit. Um, but I, I are you looking for specific examples or just? I'm just curious, do you kind of go back and, and look at the tape, so to speak, in terms of how this search went and then what, what you might have changed in, in retrospect in terms of the process, in terms of the candidates you were looking at? And, and how does that kind of inform the, the next cycle that, that you're going to go on? It's, it's really hard to do, Brian, because, you know, some of the searches I've done where I thought, hey, this is home run, no question about it. This guy or girl fits this culture. They've won at multiple places, and then they they don't win for whatever reason. Um, and there's you can't put your finger on it. You know, I, I just look at like a Scott Frost when he was hired at Nebraska. Wow, he is gonna kill it there. This is you know the son of Nebraska got a great system that worked at UCF, and you know just hasn't been able to you know move the needle for whatever reason. And uh, you look at uh, Tom Herman at Texas. I mean, some of those hires that you just thought looked really good on paper um, for whatever reason didn't. And then there's other times where I've, I've, as a search consultant, I've sat back and said, man, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this hire that I'm a part of and the ADs making. Um, and then they've turned out to be successful. So it's hard at the end of the day, hiring people, whether it's in sports or, you know, the business, you know, finance sector, whatever it may be. It's really hard to match culture and skill. Um, and for whatever reason, some people are successful and some aren't. And it's it's always hard to kind of figure out and put your finger on it. Uh, yeah, if this, this is this is the reason that big companies spend so much on these search firms too, right? I mean, it, you never know if someone's just not going to vibe with their boss right. or they move and a new city is unfamiliar. A lot of these schools are very different. They're, you know, somebody that's a, an East Coast guy ends up, discovers that they don't really love living in Wyoming. Like yeah. you, there are exactly. things you can't always predict. I'm, I'm curious, since you've, you've had exposure to this industry and this process on so many different levels, if you were made like czar of the college athletics industry or you were made czar of university presidents, what's something you would change about the hiring of senior administrators or coaches? Well, top of mind today is uh, coaching contract length. Uh, and, you know, I look at Coach Wells at Texas Tech and, you know, I think the world of, of Kirby at Texas Tech and he, he's got a bright staff there, but you know, when people are being fired after two and a half years and one of those seasons being a COVID season, and quite frankly, they're a play or two away from being six and two this year. I just wish ADs could allow, you know, football and basketball coaches a little more time. Um, you know, I go back to uh, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa when my dad hired him. You know, I think he went one and ten, three and nine, and then halfway through his third season, he was sitting at 500 at four and four. They ended up winning some late games um, in the year and went seven and five. But, you know, people were calling for his head and you kind of got to stick to your guns and not let, you know, significant donors kind of steer steer where the ship's going and have confidence in, in, in the, the hire you've made. Now, in the case of Wells or, you know, Ed Odron, there may be other things behind the scenes that I, I don't know about, but 
I just wish ADs gave a little more leeway to their coaching hires to at least see it four seasons uh, to get a recruiting class through to see how that's going to look. Um, and this as an industry as a whole, um, you know, di- diversity, equity, inclusion, we, we got to have more black coaches in this business. Um, we got to have more female ADs. Um, the list could go on. Uh, There's just too big of a gap there. And then I, I just think the spending's ridiculous. When I see a school spending $15 million on a buyout after laying off 200 people, that, that rubs everyone the wrong way. Um, that rubs people the wrong way that don't even follow college sports. So I think as an industry, um, I, I think we did do some self-reflection last year. But sure enough, a couple months later, buyouts again, firings are happening. It's like nothing happened. There's still people without jobs that left this business. So, you know, I don't know if there's some sort of cap, you know, legally it's not going to ever happen, but I I do think the the spending on head coaches is just outlandish and um, really doesn't fit what um, we're trying to do here. So you, so you, you just brought up your, your dad, Bob, there. I think he's he's obviously been in the news quite a bit as, as the Big 12 commissioner, been, been staying busy. But I'm curious how your relationship is right now, obviously navigating the fact that uh, he's running a, a conference and uh, he has kind of 12 members and 12 plus members now uh, that he has to take care of. How, how do you kind of navigate that and, and those potential conflicts of interest that might be out yeah, there? Yeah, it, it, it was really interesting um, because I was actually living at his house. We were remodeling our house during the time when Texas and OU departed. So I was really seeing it on a day-to-day basis and, um, you know, kind of not eavesdropping, but hearing some conversations and those types of things. So I feel like I really lived it. Um, you know, live the pain, live the highs of kind of getting us getting the Big 12 back on track. So um, certainly interesting. You know, I I try not to cultivate a lot of business in the Big 12. I I just don't, even if I have a great relationship with, say, Travis Goff at Kansas, who I've known for 10 years before he ever became the AD at Kansas, you know, for him to work with me and have Bowlesby Sports Advisors, you know, in the news to me, it's just not something I want to do. So in a way it can hurt. Um, Other times, you know, there's relationships that I've developed through my dad with people around the country and I've gotten business through it. Um, So it it hurts in some cases, you know, not cultivating big 12 business, but um, certainly helps with other relationships. And as you guys mentioned, I've really been around it my whole life and, and through his job have made just endless connections and, and real relationships with a lot of great people. You know, I think you mentioned uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion quite a bit. Uh, you know, the WCC has been you know very public in terms of the, the Russell rule and what they've pushed the NFL. We, we've seen it recently in terms of the Rooney rule and both the success and, and also the, the negatives uh, of that rule. We saw it with the Raiders right now in terms of, you know, ownership wanted John Gruden. They, you know, yes, they qualified and, and went through the process to, to satisfy the Rooney rule. But when a owner or, or in a lot of cases that AD wants a certain candidate, I'm curious, as, as the search room kind of brought in to manage that process, how do you kind of work with an AD, uh, especially if you think maybe that candidate's not a great fit for the school? Yeah. Well, A, you never want to put somebody forward that you don't feel as qualified, regardless of race and gender. So you, you want to be doing, you don't want to do a disservice to any candidates. Um, you know, everyone's employed, you know, happy where they are. Um, so you want to do it for the right reasons. But, you know, there there's specific to say the AD world, there's no shortage of talented female and black candidates. That's if, if a search firm or a school says, Hey, there, there just wasn't anyone out there. You know, that's BS to me because there's, there's a lot of talented folks. Now, some of the sports specific to what I've been working on, you know, some of the Olympic sports there, there literally is no diversity candidates in some of these sports, um, which, you know, is an issue in itself. But, um, you know, when I look at college basketball, college football, um, there's a lot of talented folks out there that deserve a chance. Um, so, you know, you, you just as a search firm, I, I try to do as much homework as possible in the offseason, um, uncover uh, any stone that needs to be unturned. 
um, and make sure that, you know, you have a robust candidate pool that is diverse, um, is balanced, and you're putting together a pool that's um, going to be qualified at the end of the day. Do you do you push back if a, if a client or a school doesn't want to talk to anybody that doesn't fit a certain you know phenotypical profile or 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 even employment profile right like if someone says I only want to talk to sitting P five you know coaches and you know there's a great person at Santa Clara like is that is that something where you can push back and say like I, I really think you need to at least talk to this person. Yeah, if I if I'm confident in someone and I've I know their background and I truly think they they could be an option, I'm absolutely pushing back and I'm I'm absolutely trying to get people you know in the pool. If, if an AD says you know I want to go after these two, not only because I I want a balanced pool, but um, you also have to have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E. And I I don't joke when I say E because. You know, I, I just did a search uh, this spring in basketball where we literally got to our fifth coaching candidate for whatever reason. Hey, this guy went to a different job. This guy wasn't interested in the role. Um, so you need to have a robust pool. And anytime you have a robust pool, it needs to be it needs to be balanced. You need to have diversity candidates. You need to have people from all walks of life. You need to have uh, people with different experience sets and, and different life experiences as well, because those are the type of people that really add to culture. Thank you very much. I think I, I think our, our listenership will really appreciate it. Good. It's uh, hopefully it's helpful. I know there's a, a lot of perceptions of search firms out there. And uh, I think for the most part, there's a lot of a lot of good people in it and, and trying to uh, do good work. Um, I think that was instructive. I, I, and you know, there's a reason I specifically wanted to reach out to Kyle, because there's as I talk about a lot on extra points. Right. There are so many schools that aren't Alabama. And there's so many coaching searches that aren't USC and LSU. And I think it's useful to talk to somebody who has some experience uh, working in some of those jobs that aren't that, since that's the majority of what these searches look like. Um, I, get, I get why people would do this. And, and honestly, I think the, the, the most compelling argument after, after hearing it is just this reminder that there are, there are a lot more cooks in this kitchen than I think maybe us regular fans, maybe media members like – remember sometimes right it's not just the athletic director it's the ad the president um faculty athletic advisors i've a bunch of people that aren't part of this industry shepherding all those cats really can be a challenge oh absolutely i mean look no further than this usc search you know that has made waves yet again uh because you know let's face it you know it's it's it was so early in the process obviously you're gonna have people talking to other people and that's a school that uh, frankly you know there's there's a lot of boosters involved there's a lot of people around the program uh connected to the program in, in various forms and fashion and that's why you know you have names like mike tomlin popping up and angrily denied uh you know connections uh by by these coaches and i think it's also fascinating too um you know just uh having a, that conversation with kyle is you know these these decisions and these searches are lasting longer. They're they're happening earlier in the process. Um, you know, I think that that was that was something that I, I've taken away the last couple of cycles is just that uh, not even just in football, but you know, coaches are, are getting shown the door earlier and earlier, and and that's having a trickle effect in terms of how you actually conduct the searches. Because it used to be very compressed. You used to you know be at at the NFF dinner in New York, and you could you could knock out a bunch of interviews, and you can make a higher a, a fire and a higher in, in you know in, in a week's time. That's not really the case anymore. You know, a lot of these ADs, not only do they have a set of pressures and, and a set of pressure points ultimately to when they can make that decision about firing a coach, but uh, the process this, this itself is, has been changed, I think, over the last couple of years in terms of what they can do, when they can do it, and, and ultimately how, how the end result gets presented to not just the, the media, but to the fans and, and the rest of the school as well. The more money goes into this system, the more complicated every transaction in, in, in the entire department becomes the longer the time period it takes, the more people have to sign off on these decisions, the more outside people you have to bring into that process. That's not just about coaches. It's about apparel contracts. It's about your relationship with the academic wing of your department. Uh, I actually wrote about this a little bit earlier, earlier this week with, with schools struggling to how to figure out how to, how to price their tickets uh, for, for sporting events. And, and this, this might be a good example, right? Because as, as the bigger you get, 
it's not just what will maximize our revenue, but what does this do for particular political constituencies? What does this do for our recruiting? What does this do for our uh, you know community outreach, uh, our, our our peak attendance? And then it can be pretty haphazard. Um, we've definitely seen that, I think, with a couple of coaching searches where maybe not everybody was on the right page. Well, I mean, go back a couple of years, too. You can kind of throw a bunch of stories into one. I mean, Dana Holgerson, his, his coaching contract itself, you know, one of the reasons why I think ultimately Houston in terms of a destination was appealing was, you know, I think a lot of leaders around that university and thought that the Cougars could eventually get into the Big 12. And ultimately, that's what happened. He had contractual bonuses uh, tied to, uh, you know, UH getting into the Big 12. Uh, certainly a lot of that comes down to on the field performance. But, um, you know, you have a unique set of circumstances like that. You have in the state of Mississippi, you can only have a four year coaching contract which uh you know leads to some thorny situations some some uh you know more tricky than, than others to navigate and and that's another set of things that both the ad's you know making hires that uh, they have to navigate as well as the search firms involved you know and and, and the coaches themselves you know it, it's just a, a a lot of things to navigate and and it's getting trickier and trickier and so you definitely do understand why in some circumstances these ad's are definitely going with firm because uh they they do need that expertise you know they're tasked with not only guiding a hundred million dollar ship uh, on a daily and weekly basis uh to, to add in you know really one of the biggest things that they're going to do as as a uh, ad uh, in terms of hiring and firing coaches, um, you know, it, it's understandable that they're bringing in others from the outside to not only look at their current operation, but look at how they can get better and find the right fit uh, with their head coach. Especially if you've never done it before. That, that That is another, I think, just it's eye-opening to me every time I get somebody on the record to remind me about it when I get into the weeds. That even for a mid or a low major, these athletic departments have become such complicated beasts right? That it's not just about, you need subject matter expertise for multiple sports. You need operational management, fundraising and development experience, HR experience, the networks and like eight different, uh, you know, professional associations, even for a department of 25 people, even for like a big division two school. Um, it's not a surprise that there's a lot of consultancy groups to come and supplement that, whether they're good, bad, uh, you know, great intentions, nefarious intentions, whatever, uh, there, there, there's no way to really like fill that fill the need for those um, internally because it's it's unreasonable for a modestly sized athletic department to have all of that uh, expertise for all cases in house, even when you're attached to a big university. Well, you speak from experience from that because you've you've kind of been on on this this side of the fence as well. I'm curious, just to, you know, when you kind of think back to your early days in in the search search business. Now, obviously, there's not the higher ed connection or or the college athletics connection, but what what, what was your experience like? Because I, I I really do kind of want you to drill down into how you were hiring factory workers and, and managers and all that because I think that would be in, in a little bit instructive for for the audience out there. Is what what is Matt Brown looking for when he's trying to hire people? Yeah, like well, well I mean, what I'm trying to to hire people for extra points or, or I guess for vendors is a little bit different, but like when I was, I, I, you know, one of the examples I, I think of is like, I remember having a client that um, operated a factory that produced nacho cheese for baseball stadiums. Like that was one, of, it was like the closest thing I had to a sports. Uh, so you've been, you needed that would a, definitely stick out in my mind, hiring, a right? Well, especially because like, as a thank you, they gave us a bunch of this nacho cheese. So it was just like, it was a vat of this stuff sitting in our break room. Right. So for this person, right. You need somebody that not only has experience running a production facility and like running a factory, but somebody that has knowledge of like food safety regulations, somebody that might have some chemical background experience, somebody that, at the management level that also has, experience hiring and firing maybe somebody that has some 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 experience working with organized labor or unions because this was this was this was a union shop um some of those are very specialized levels of expertise there's not a ton of other mass food uh and, and food like <laughs> your products being produced right so you can hop on linkedin and you can search for like who has industrial cheese experience and 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 come up with the candidate pool that way but you're only going to find you know, a couple dozen people with some of that experience. So then like for us, like the part of the big challenge is, okay, where, what are the professional associations for these kinds of people? What kind of conferences do they go to? Where are they educated and call those places up and go get lists of people who attended those kind of conferences and then suddenly try to build a professional relationship. One of the things that's a struggle for staffing companies that aren't specialized like Kyle's is, is, you know, I don't have time to build six years of professional experience in, in big cheese, 
especially because I'm going to be switched to a completely different industry in six months. So you have to kind of try to do some of those things quickly and then do the background check and the reference check and some of those other things. So it, it, it all depends, right? Like, you know, for, for that kind of large company, they have an HR department that can handle some of those things. But if I'm a working with a software consultancy that has six employees, even if they're doing $2 million in revenue, they might not have an HR department. So then it makes sense for me to do some of those things beyond just finding finding those names. Um, it can, and that's why you have lots of different kinds of search firms. You have generalists, you have firms that specialize in just high volume, high turnover gigs, where you're you're coming to do a job fair, and your goal is to hire thirty people at that job fair. And then you have ones that are really industry specific. If you're going to be looking after a couple of different people, um, it's not an industry I miss. But I, one of the fun parts really was learning a bunch of new things about new industries every couple of months. And that's I think that's that's a skill set that I, I still use as a reporter. It is fascinating, too, because, you know, you look, it is a transferable skill, right? You know, like you're just mentioning, I think you know, that's that's the one thing, whether these 80s go on to do something outside of the industry, we're kind of seeing that exodus, so to speak. Uh, yeah. You know, guys leaving and, and guys and gals leaving you know, college athletics to other industries. But you know, the reason why they're so valuable is because they have made these hires before. They have gone out into the market and, and done things with vendors. And you know, let's face it, higher ed itself is, is just such a unique industry and hiring within higher ed, just all the red tape that you got to go through. I mean, listen, there's there's a reason why a lot of these these head coaches even are still operating under you know MOUs and not actual coaching contracts. You know, you see it all the time, especially when it comes time to, to buyouts, you know, well, they never signed their contract. Well, there, there's partly reasons why, not just on, on the coaches end, but also on the school's end. So uh, I, I think it's it's a fascinating industry and one that uh, I think obviously is, is in the news quite a bit as we kind of get into the thick of a, a football coaching carousel, but also with other sports coming up uh, after that as well. We are going to obviously continue to track all of this, not just in extra points, but on this show. You know, we've we've talked to now Godfrey, who has a lot of experience in how the coaching search sausage is made. We've talked to somebody on the search firm side. I think we might talk to somebody on the excuse me, on the agent side. Maybe we'll actually bring in a coach to talk through some of these things or an AG to talk through some of these things. Um we have some other exciting stories uh, lined up here soon, too. Some guests that aren't related to the big coaching search industry that are unique that we hope we can bring on here soon. Um, and obviously, plenty and plenty of news to actually talk about. Um, you can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter, Extra Points MB on Instagram when I remember to actually log in. You can find this show, of course, not just on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. You can also find it on the Learfield IMG Varsity Podcast Network, which has a collection of other excellent college athletic shows um, and basically anywhere else that you can get your podcasts. Uh, where, where can folks find you, Brian? As always on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Best place for all my work, which is uh, staying busy, especially as we get into the thick of things. We get college football playoff rankings around the corner. We got everything going on, uh, not just in football, but basketball starting up. You can get your Athlon Sports uh, preview magazine for, for hoops if you're so inclined uh, on newsstands now. So it's it's a busy time of the year, as, as it always seems to be, as we hit not only Halloween, but uh, kind of the, the real thick of fall sports uh, across the country. Um, thanks everyone once again for listening. We got a lot going on. Uh, if you enjoy the show, if you would be so kind as to leave a positive rating, make this thing look like an Alabama recruiting class, mostly five stars, three star for the punter. Uh, that helps other people find out what we're doing. In the meantime, thanks for I'm Matt. That's Brian. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week.